we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold let's talk finance wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot yahoo finance does just that it consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis making it easier to manage your investments Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. When I recorded my podcast on Friday, I was pretty sure that we'd have a lot of fireworks in the markets on Monday. In fact, I thought it was going to get started on Sunday night, and that is exactly what happened. Now, I didn't know what the catalyst would be for sure. I didn't realize that oil prices were going to plunge the way they did or that Saudi Arabia was going to retaliate against uh, Russia uh, by increasing production and cutting prices. And if you didn't hear the news on crude oil, we had one of the biggest drops ever down better than $10 a barrel. Crude settled just below $31 a barrel uh, today. The low was all the way down at $27.34. So a huge decline in the price of crude oil. And oil stocks, of course, were the biggest losers on the day. Even the best oil companies with the best balance sheets around the world, uh, they were down anywhere from 15 to 20%, in some cases a little bit more than that. But the companies that had the biggest problem were the U.S. oil companies that have a lot of debt. Apache Corp down 53% on the day. New 52-leak low. I mentioned on Friday, Occidental Petroleum was down, I forget what it was, 15% on Friday. It was down 52% today at 12.51. There are other companies, you know, Devon Energy down 37% on the day. Look at Chesapeake. Well, forget about Chesapeake. It was down 27%, but this stock is all the way down to 16 cents. So it's already basically ready for bankruptcy. But that is the real problem here. Uh, The media is talking about 
the drop in oil as the catalyst. Look, it's not about the oil. It's about the debt that the oil companies have that can't be repaid. Because if you look at how uh, the markets reacted to this news, pretty much everything went down. I mean, stocks that actually benefit from lower oil prices got clobbered, just like the stocks that produce oil and suffer when the price goes down. But it's not just stocks, it's whole nations. Because there are countries that don't produce any oil, right? They, they import 100% of their oil. So a big drop in the price of oil is great news for these countries because it cuts their import bill. It improves their terms of trade. It's like a gigantic tax cut. So yes, I can see where oil exporting nations would suffer because they're losing money because they're getting less for what they export. But the other side of that transaction is a windfall for the oil importing nations that get to buy oil cheaper, that don't have to export as much to pay for the oil they need. Yet those markets got hammered too. All the world's stock markets went down. So it's not about oil prices coming down. Again, that is part of the symptom. It is the debt bubble. And again, I'm continuing to listen to the coverage on like CNBC and they have one so-called expert after another and none of these guys can see the bubble for the pin. All they're doing is focusing on the coronavirus. It's immaterial. It means nothing at this point. I mean, yes, it means something health-wise and I feel badly for people who have died from the coronavirus or who might catch the coronavirus. So I'm not trying to minimize the, the health aspect of it. I'm talking about the financial aspect. I'm talking about the economy. At this point, it doesn't matter what happens to that pin. The bubble has been pricked. If it wasn't the coronavirus, it would have been something else because it's not just the oil companies that have all this debt. Everybody is levered up thanks to the Fed. And because we have so much leverage, we can't survive an economic downturn when you have a disruption of your cash flow. And actually, I think that the Saudis and the Russians probably understand this. And I'm not sure if it's Russia that's really the instigator or Saudi Arabia, but it makes a lot of sense what's going on because the U.S. has been eating into their market share when it comes to oil. And how have we been able to do this? Because we're a high-cost producer. So where has America been able to get all the money that it has been investing in really an uneconomical uh, shale industry? It's been the Fed. It's been cheap money. So because of the credit bubble, Americans have been able to drill for oil and grab market share. Right. But if they hadn't been able to borrow all that money on the cheap, they never would have been able to finance all of this drilling. And I think they are taking advantage of this opportunity to really drive a stake right into the heart of the American uh, shale industry, because this is it. I think they sense the vulnerability in a recession that was coming anyway with global demand down based on the disruption to travel from the coronavirus. And they, they hit the industry when it was extremely vulnerable. And that is the problem. And oil prices are going to recover. They're not going to stay down here, right? So there is tremendous profit opportunity. 
in the oil companies that survive, right? Because when so many American oil companies go bankrupt, the well-capitalized companies around the world, some of them in the United States, but most of them not, are gonna be even better positioned to profit from the rebound in oil because the rebound is gonna be much higher and they're not gonna to have to compete with the American shale industry. Because before the price of oil recovers, American companies are going to go bankrupt. They can't pay their debts. And more importantly, the loan covenants are gonna blow up because these loans are based on the value of their assets, which are the reserves in the ground. And if oil was at $50 a barrel, and now it's at $30 a barrel, a lot of those reserves have zero value because it costs more than that to get it out of the ground. In fact, the production costs are so high that again, the only thing that made it viable was how cheaply they were able to borrow money thanks to the Fed. In a normal environment, we wouldn't have made these ridiculous investments. Uh, but because of the bubble, we did. But now, when the banks are looking at these loans and there's no collateral there, there's probably covenants in those loans. They're immediately due. And now all of a sudden there's foreclosure. So these companies are going out of business. Their employees are going to lose their jobs. And you know, Donald Trump was making a big deal about the booming oil industry under his presidency. Well, that boom just went bust under his presidency. And all of those workers who are gonna get laid off are probably not gonna vote for him. In fact, I was just looking on Predicted, and today for the first time, and I don't know when, how long I can remember, the odds of a Republican winning in 2020 are lower than a Democrat. That was the exact opposite last week. Trump was the favorite to win on the betting markets and the Republicans were the favorite. Now the Democrats are the favorite and Trump is the underdog and his underdog status is going to get worse and worse. Now, I'm sure that there may be some kind of a bailout in the works for the energy industry. In fact, there's probably a number of industries where we may be getting bailouts, but the energy industry may be one. Now, I don't know what they're gonna do. I mean, certainly, right, how about tariffs, right? Why doesn't Trump just impose a 30 or $40 tariff on imported oil, right? So that would protect American shale from global competition. But of course, he doesn't really wanna do that because he's, he's already said that lower oil prices are a benefit to consumers. So does he really wanna put that kind of tax on consumers, although when you think about it, Trump claimed that when he put taxes on Chinese exports, that the Chinese paid the tax and the Americans got it for free. So maybe he could try to claim that if we put tariffs on oil, that it's gonna be the Saudis and the Russians who are gonna pay the tariffs. But of course, I think the Americans will, 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 will see through that very quickly because those gas stations display their prices uh, very prominently uh, on those big signs. But I doubt we're gonna have that. But you know what they might do is guarantee the debt. Maybe the US government is gonna guarantee the debt of these oil companies so that the banks don't have to worry about the loan covenants or about the lack of collateral. But that simply puts the, the taxpayer on the hook uh, to repay these defaulted loans, right? It's like a, like a tarp bailout for the oil industry, right? Instead of subprime mortgage debt, they'd basically be buying up uh, subprime energy debt. But of course, the taxpayer doesn't have the money, so it's the Fed that ends up monetizing it. Look, this is just like 2008 in that 
It's getting started the way 2008 got started. This is a credit bubble that is popping. In 2008, it started with subprime, but it didn't end with subprime. But if you remember, at the beginning, everybody said it was contained. They just thought it was all about subprime. They didn't see the bigger credit bubble. Now it's the coronavirus. The coronavirus is subprime, or maybe the oil market and the oil debt is subprime. Whatever it is, the pin has pricked this bubble. But what is very similar between the environment today and the environment in 2008 is everybody is minimizing the effects and nobody could see how bad this is going to be. In fact, you know, expert after expert was coming on CNBC today to say that, well, you know, even if we have a recession, it's not gonna be bad, it's gonna be very shallow, it's gonna be very short. Why would it be shallow and short? You know, the next recession, whenever it got started, was destined to be worse than the Great Recession of 2008. That's because to get out of that recession, we made a deal with the devil, the devil being the Fed, right? They, they helped postpone the pain. Well, now the markets, right, it, are basically coming to collect for the devil because we just delayed the day of reckoning and now we're gonna have to deal with it. So for anybody to think that this is gonna be a short, mild recession, is nonsense. It's going to be deep and it's going to be severe. It's going to be much worse than 2008. But the complacency that exists today is the same type of complacency uh, that we had back then because people still don't understand the dynamics. They didn't learn anything from the last financial crisis and that's why they're doomed to repeat it uh, the next time, only much worse. But let's go back and look at what happened with some of these uh, stock indexes today. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down over 2,000 points, 2,013 points. In fact, this morning, we triggered for the first time a circuit breaker because when the markets were down 7%, they actually halted trading for, I think, 10 minutes or something like that. Uh, and then, we, you know, we rallied a little bit, but we closed pretty much near the lows of the day on the markets. We never triggered the second circuit breaker, which would have halted trading for an hour. We need to be down 13% for that. But these are some big, big declines. The Dow Jones percentage decline was 7.8%. This is the 11th biggest percentage drop in the history of the Dow. And interestingly enough, and I got this statistic from my son Spencer, who about the, the 11th worst day, but it's the fourth biggest percentage decline since 1932, meaning that all those other ones that were bigger happened during the stock market crash of 1929 and the beginning of the depression. So to find days where the market lost this much value, you gotta go back really to the beginning of a depression and we may be now in the beginning of an even greater depression. In fact, I've long thought that we're gonna have to rename the Great Depression because what we're about to go through is gonna be much worse uh, than that one. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete 
Meet Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com gold, code gold. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. But if we now look at the decline, the after today, the Dow Jones is now down 19.4% from its peak. Not quite uh, a bear market, but we'll probably be there by tomorrow. S&P down 19% from its peak. Uh, NASDAQ down 19.2. But we have some indexes in bear market territory. The Russell 2000 down 23.5%. It's a bear market. In fact, 21.5% this calendar year i've been talking about the russell 2000 on this podcast i just said again on friday that it was the weakest index on a chart to me i even said that when it was the only one that didn't make a new high russell 2000 down 9.37 percent today in one day 9.37 percent the russell 2000 is now down since Donald Trump assumed office. Not since he was elected, but since he was inaugurated, January 17th, I think, 2017, the Russell 2000 is down. And I think about 60% of the stocks in that index are lower now than they were when Donald Trump took the oath of office. Now, for a guy who's claiming he's the stock market president, these are 2,000 U.S. companies. This is Americana. These are companies that are involved in the domestic economy, and they are down uh, since he's been in office. The biggest loser, though, of the uh, the indexes is the Dow Transports. 
They're now down 29%, so deep in bear market territory, down 8.6% today. So not that much worse than the, the overall market. But again, one of the worst segments of this market are the financials. I talked about that again last week. I've been warning about these financials for years. I have avoided them like the plague. I have zero exposure to financials personally uh, or for any of our, our clients. And uh, those stocks got clobbered today. I'm looking at KRE, which is the Spider S&P Regional Banking ETF. And this is probably more important than just uh, the, the larger financials because it really is kind of a bellwether of the American economy because you got all these smaller banks that are lending to American businesses. This index was down 15.5% today. <laughs> you know, it's down about 37% from its 52-week high. Almost all of that decline coming in the last two or three weeks. And during the last two or three weeks, we've wiped out the last seven years of gains. So this index, regional banks, is doing even worse under the Trump administration than the Russell 2000. So again, why are these financials in so much trouble? Well, one reason is because all these oil companies that borrowed money to drill expensive oil can't pay the loans back when oil is cheap. But it's not just the oil loans that are going to go bad. There's all sorts of loans that are going to go bad. What about oil workers? Can they pay back the money they borrowed to buy whatever it is they bought? You know, and it's not just that industry. You, what about the travel industry? What about hotels? What about the, the airlines? What about uh, cruise ships? You know, what about stores? You know, I mean, even though people are able to refinance their mortgages now that you're having plunging rates, and I'll get to that in a minute, uh, but people aren't buying houses if they don't have jobs, if they don't have paychecks. They're not remodeling their houses. I mean, there's so much debt. When one debt domino falls, you have all sorts of debt dominoes lined up that are going to go down too. This is the problem, except it's a bigger problem than 2008. We have so much more debt now than we had then. And every time I hear one of these guys coming on television saying, well, it's not like 2008, they're right. It's not. It's worse. <laughs> right? They think it's not like 2008 because everything is fine. For some reason, they think that we don't have a debt problem. How can we not have a debt problem? We have so much more debt now than we had then. So if it was a problem back then, and now the debt is so much bigger, why isn't it a bigger problem now? Why is everybody so quick to dismiss all of the debt we had. I mean, maybe one of the reasons is because the cost of servicing that debt is plunging. You know, and I mentioned the yield on the treasury bonds on Friday as one of the reasons that I knew that rally was BS because it made no sense fundamentally because both oil and bonds were flashing recession, which is bad for a stock market that's priced for lots of earnings growth that you clearly don't get in a recession. But the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond fell to a record low 0.398%, less than 40 basis points for 10 years. Now, we closed a little bit off that. I think now we're back up to like 0.5, but still a half a percent for 10 years. The 30-year bond went all the way down to 0.83, you know, less than one. We don't even have a one handle. The, the, the whole yield curve uh, has no numbers to the left of the decimal point. It's a zero handle on everything. And so the yield on the 30-year uh, closed at 
0.937%. So less than 1% uh, to loan money to the U.S. government for 30 years. Now, if you look at where the rates are, if you look at the 30, you know 90-day bills, I mean, they are now pricing in pretty much the, a 100% probability of a 75 basis point rate cut. So nobody even thinks the Fed's only going to go 50. They're going to do at least 75, but I think there's a 25% chance or maybe more, I forgot to check, that we're going to get 100 basis points. The Fed has never done that. I think 75 is the biggest they've ever done. So if we got 100, that would set the record for the biggest rate cut. The problem is once they've done it, they're pretty much done because they're, they're almost at zero. Right? Once they take another 100 basis points, they don't really have many basis points left to go. That's what makes this one so bad. Although, you know, if the Fed is really going to cut you know, rates by 100 basis points in less than two weeks, why wait? Just do it now. I mean, if it's so good, if it makes sense to do it in two weeks, then do it right now. If it really works, why not just do it? Of course, it doesn't work, but what else are they going to do? Well, the other thing they're going to do is massive, massive QE. You know, they're already talking about more stimulus programs, just like they were talking about stimulus programs early in 2008. Of course, that didn't work. Those stimulus checks uh, didn't stop the Great Recession from coming. And it doesn't matter what they do now, whatever this coronavirus stimulus is. And once I hear what these uh, guys are, are going to pass or propose, I'll, I'll dissect it and critique it on a, a future podcast. But where is the money going to come from to pay for all that? Obviously, it's going to come from the Federal Reserve, which is going to have to print all of this money, uh, which is why the U.S. dollar is falling, right? The dollar index was down about a full percent today. I think it's down now about 0.9, so off the lows. Uh, but across the board against the major uh, safe haven type currencies, the dollar got clobbered. Uh, the euro is now about 114 and a half. We were down about 3% on the Japanese yen. At one point, the dollar was almost down 4% against the yen. We dropped about a percent and a quarter against the Swiss franc. But early last night, it was really a mixed bag because the commodity currencies got clobbered. You know, the Australian dollar was down at 1.5% against the U.S. dollar last night and 8% against the Japanese yen because the Aussie dollar was down 5%. At the same time, the Japanese yen was up 3%. So massive swings, obviously, Australia, an exporter of oil, uh, but it dragged down the, uh, the New Zealand dollar. New Zealand doesn't export oil. Uh, but the New Zealand dollar wasn't as weak. In fact, the New Zealand dollar actually was up about a percent today. The Aussie dollar paired its losses dramatically. I think it was only down about a half a percent. Uh, but the reason it went down so much is early last night, I think there was a rumor or somebody from the Reserve Bank of Australia said that in order to guard against any problems from the coronavirus, that the government of Australia was uh, you know coming up with or thinking about its own asset purchase program, like they're going to go out and they're going to buy Australian government bonds. I mean, what a dumb thing to do. First of all, Australian government bond yields were already at record lows for Australia. You know, they're below 1% for 10 years. Why would they want to buy them? You know, they want to just copy the United States and copy Europe or Japan. I mean, did their mother never tell them that if your friend jumps off a bridge, are you going to jump off too? Why would we want to emulate policies that have failed? I mean, they haven't had an asset purchase program yet, and their economy is much better off for it. Why would they want to do that? 
I mean, what they should be saying is, God, we dodged a bullet. I'm glad we weren't dumb enough to have an asset purchase program like the ECB or the JGB or the Federal Reserve. No, no, no. They want to do exactly uh, what these idiots already did, and they haven't learned anything. Now, I don't know if they're going to do it or not, and I'm sure if they do it, it's going to be on a much smaller scale than whatever we do. So the Australian dollar is going to go higher. But it's amazing uh, that not only do they not learn from the mistakes that other central bankers make, they're happy to repeat them because they think they're going to work even though they've never worked. I mean, the fact that the Fed is back to zero and back to QE is proof positive that it never worked because if it worked, they wouldn't have to do it again because it was supposed to be temporary. That's how it was sold. It was an emergency measure that was going to be unwound as soon as the emergency ended. The fact that they could never unwound it and now we're right back in it should be proof to the Reserve Bank of Australia that it didn't work. It was a complete failure. And that's the last thing that these guys should do. Meanwhile, though, at the same time that uh, you were having a lot of turbulence in the currency markets and the bond market, gold did gap up. As I suspected, gold took out 1690. We actually got above 1700. I think the high was about 1702, 1703. But then gold sold off. And it never got back above 1700 in the New York time zone. I mean, it was flirting between, you know, up uh, six, seven, eight, ten bucks maybe and down, you know, five to ten bucks. By the end of the day, it actually did end up positive. I think as I'm checking out the price of gold right now, it's about $16.80 an ounce. So that's up about six, seven bucks. So, you know, not a bad day for the price of gold, but it didn't really break out. It didn't just have a $50, $100 up day. And as a result of that, the gold stocks got clobbered once again. In fact, the gold stocks were down about the same amount as the rest of the market. Again, indiscriminate selling, uh, whether you, you benefit from lower oil prices or you suffer from lower oil prices, everybody got taken out to the woodshed. They threw out all the babies uh, with all the bathwater. But GDX down 7.14%, GDXJ down 7.6%. So, you know, about the same as the other indexes. Of course, not as bad as the Russell 2000 or the financials or the oil stocks, but still a gold went down. But the important thing to keep in mind is that while gold stocks are falling, the fundamentals are improving for the industry. And so this is a fantastic buying opportunity. And again, you know, you have to look back to the 2008 crisis for a little bit of a playbook on what to do. Because I remember during that crisis, initially gold stocks went down. They got clobbered in 2008. The difference is they actually got clobbered more than the rest of the market. Gold stocks went down more than the NASDAQ uh, initially during that decline. And gold also went down. Right? It didn't go up. It went down. And that was a problem. Gold is up. Right? Gold is moving higher. It's still up about 5% or so since the, the crisis really flared up. So gold is positive on the year, and it's been moving up as the U.S. stock market is moving down. That is in sharp contrast to what happened in 2008. Oh. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. 
Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Also, while gold stocks are moving down, they're actually down less than the overall market. In fact, if you look at the year-to-date loss on the S&P, it's about 15% so far this year. Russell 2000 is down 21.5% this year. NASDAQ, not as much, 11%, because it had a bigger rally before the drop. So even though it's down 19.2% from its peak, it's only down 11% year-to-date. But the GDX, gold stocks, are only down 6.7% year-to-date. So gold stocks are outperforming the overall stock market, whereas in 2008, they underperformed the U.S. stock market. And another significant difference between 2008 and now is that in 2008, the dollar was soaring. It was going up every single day. And as a result of that, foreign stocks were getting hit much harder than domestic stocks. That's not what's happening today. It's the U.S. stock market that's getting hit harder because the dollar is falling, at least against a lot of the currencies. Not all the currencies yet, but the euro and the Swiss franc and the yen and a bunch of other currencies are going up against the dollar. The dollar index has fallen about 5% uh, so far during this crisis. So this is a significant difference between 08 And now, and that shows me or confirms what I've been saying, that the problem is much greater now and it's going to be a currency crisis. It's going to be a sovereign debt crisis. But also, it's important to remember that once the dust settled in 2008, by the end of 08, early 2009, and once we knew what the Fed was going to do, right, they showed their cards and it was just print money, QE, right, cutting rates down to zero, gold took off. And gold stocks exploded. And not only did they recover everything they lost in 2008, but they went much, much higher. They made new highs. And in fact, all of the foreign markets and commodity markets from 2009 through 2011 way outperformed the U.S. So early on, when the Fed first started its crazy policy, uh, the other markets did better. It wasn't until people started to believe that the policy worked and that the Fed could normalize interest rates and shrink their balance sheet that everything turned. And of course, that was all a bunch of BS. But my point is, if gold and gold stocks did so well in 2009, 10, 11, after the initial drop, I think the same thing is going to happen again, only bigger, because now they don't have to crawl out of the hole. Right? They don't have to make up for the underperformance because they outperformed on the way down. Gold stocks didn't do as bad as the overall market. And so then when the recovery starts, they're recovering from a much stronger position. And I think we have a much further way to run because this time nobody is going to believe the QE is temporary. Nobody's going to believe that interest rates are ever going to normalize, which means no one's going to stop buying gold. Gold is just going to explode uh, to new highs and these gold stocks are going to take off. You know, one of these days, I've been saying the move is going to be incredible uh, to the upside. 
So just keep on buying, you know, if you're a client, just keep on sending money in to buy these stocks, to take advantage of the fact that the dollar is still overpriced. You know, they were talking on CBC again today, and they were saying, well, you know, we don't think it's the bottom yet, but, you know, it's, don't sell. It's definitely, you know, it's too late to sell. You don't want to sell, which, of course, is what they always say at the beginning of a bear market, because before it becomes an official bear market, they say it's a correction, so don't sell. And then as soon as it's a bear market, they say, well, it's too late to sell. The bear market is over. I agree that there are a lot of bargains. There are a lot of stocks around the world now that are cheap. Very, very cheap. There's a lot of great buys, and those great buys may even get better uh, before the stocks go up. And I think that's great because it gives us more time to build positions and more time for clients to add to their accounts and more time for me to gather new clients. But when it comes to the U.S. market, despite the drop that we've had, the U.S. market remains incredibly overpriced. Selling right now is not only not panicking, it's smart. I mean, yes, you should have sold sooner, but okay, it's not too late. It's a long way down. We are early in this bear market. And more important than that, the dollar has a long way to fall. The only way they can stop the U.S. market from imploding is to crash the dollar by more, right? But then your dollars go down. Your stocks are dollars. And even if you have more dollars, if they buy less, then your standard living goes down. The real value of your portfolio goes down. So people should be selling. And by the way, I am going to be doing a client webinar. So in case you don't notice your email, if you're, you know, it's a client webinar, it's going to be on Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure and sign up for that webinar. It's, you know, it doesn't cost anything. You just have to register for it. Everybody should be getting an email, but sometimes the emails, they may go into your spam filter or something. So look around for an email in your junk or your spam if you don't see it for the Euro Pacific Client webinar on Wednesday at 4 p.m. And if you can't find it, just contact your rep and just say, hey, I need the email. I wanna, I wanna participate in the webinar because I really wanna you know, give some more specific thoughts on what's going on and, and, and my recommendations. I've actually, though, been saving the worst for last, and that is Bitcoin. And, you know, I've been talking about Bitcoin last week, about the fact that Bitcoin's failure to rally was going to be a, a real problem for the cryptocurrency. It really was uh, the time for Bitcoin to put up or shut up when it comes to safe haven store of value, because we had the perfect conditions for a Bitcoin rally, right? Everything that everybody has been saying has happened, right? The Fed is slashing interest rates, right? Stock markets are crashing. Currencies are going all over the place. Gold went above 1,700, right? Everybody is panicking. The VIX has exploded, right? Bitcoin is supposed to be the hedge. Bitcoin is supposed to be the asset in your portfolio that can go up when all the other assets are going down. It was supposed to be digital gold, except it's not. It's exactly what I said it was, digital risk. It's nothing. And Bitcoin collapsed again today. It was down about 10%. Uh, it was probably the strongest of the altcoins. There were some of these coins that were down 15 or 20% today. As I'm recording, Bitcoin is at 7,850. Uh, I think the low today was around 7,500 or somewhere around there. I forget exactly. But remember, it was at 10,500 a couple of weeks ago. And so it has actually now declined uh, by what, about 20%? It's back in a bear market. 
during a time period where the price of gold is up about 5%. Now, a lot of people want to say, oh, but Bitcoin is still up on the year. Who cares? At the rate it's falling, it's not going to be up on the year for long. But the problem is, why did Bitcoin go up earlier in the year? Because everybody was saying, well, buy it because it's a safe haven. Buy it because it's not correlated. It's digital gold. It can go up when everything else goes down. And so people bought it. And then everything else went down and Bitcoin went down just as much, if not more. So Bitcoin has failed to live up to the hype. And this is just the beginning of the decline because now everybody who's been holding on to Bitcoin is going to see that it didn't work, that they bought into a bill of goods. Now, most of them are still in denial, right? The die-hot hodlers, right? They're they're never going to figure this out until they've lost all their money. But there's some other money that's a little smarter and is going to realize that, you know, when something doesn't go up on good news, I'm selling it because if it's not going to go up, it's only going to go down. Now, CNBC's approach to the whole thing was to have amnesia. You know, I'm watching CNBC all day and not once, not once did anybody mention the word Bitcoin. Now, why is that? I mean, if Bitcoin was up 10% today, that's all they'd be talking about. I mean, yeah, they'd be talking about everything else, but they would constantly be talking about how great Bitcoin is and how, you see, we told you, it's a store of value, it's a safe haven, it's a new asset category, you got to own Bitcoin. Not a word. They didn't have a single guest to talk about Bitcoin, and not one of their anchors even mentioned it. Even just to say that it went down. I don't know. Did they get a memo from their lawyer or something? Because, you know, if I was uh, owning CNBC, I'd be lawyering up on this thing because I don't think they'll be able to hide behind their disclaimers because I think there was a lot of conflict of interest between all the pumpers that they endorsed and they gave all this airtime to say all kinds of nonsense unchallenged, knowing that these guys had crypto funds and these guys stood to make a lot of money if they could pump up the price. And you have that guy from the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust that was heavily advertising uh, on CNBC. Nonstop commercials, drop gold, drop gold. So CNBC made a lot of money, uh, collect a lot of money airing those commercials. And then, of course, the time that the commercials were airing, they constantly pumped Bitcoin and ignored gold or downplayed gold. That uh, trust was down 16% today. At one time, it was down better than 20% in one day. So anybody who dumped gold or dropped their gold and bought this is getting clobbered here. I mean, down 16% in one day. This is your safe haven. This is your store of value. And it's down 16% in a single day. And you know what? It's not done falling. Because if Bitcoin isn't a safe haven, if it isn't a store of value, and it's not currency or it's not money, then what the hell is it? And if you don't know what it is, and if it doesn't do anything, then what's the point of owning it? There is no point of owning it. This is a come to Jesus moment for Bitcoin, and people are ignoring this at their own risk. Look, yes, Bitcoin is not at 20,000. You didn't sell the high, but 7850 is high enough. Remember where this thing came from. Remember how cheap it was 10 years ago, because that's how cheap it's going to get. And it may not take 10 years to get there either. We are much closer to the high than we are to the low. So as I said earlier, it's not too late to sell the U.S. stocks. Well, it's really not too late to sell Bitcoin. Bitcoin, this is a phenomenal opportunity for people to recognize the mistake that they made. Now, maybe you bought Bitcoin lower and you got lucky because other fools paid a higher price than you. Well, what you need to do is get out before the other fools beat you to it. Get out before the bottom drops out and take your money and buy real gold. Get out of the fool's gold and buy the real stuff, 
right? Talk to one of my reps at uh, Shift Gold and, and cash out your Bitcoin. In fact, you, I think at Shift Gold, you could use BitPay and make, we have a very simple process for getting rid of Bitcoin and buying gold. So call up Shift Gold and sell yours now, right? Before the bottom drops out of the market and you can't get anything for your Bitcoins. And if you really want to speculate, right? If you want more upside than just physical gold, then look at the gold stocks. Get into my gold fund. You know, buy the Euro Pacific Gold Fund. You can buy it, you know, on Euro Pacific Fund's website. Buy it at Schwab, Fidelity, or E-Trade. Call up and talk to one of my reps at Euro Pacific Capital and buy my gold fund. But the first thing is get rid of your Bitcoin, right? This should be a wake up. Think about it rationally. Take away, take away all that nonsense and all the wishful thinking and pie in the sky and ask yourself, why didn't Bitcoin go up? I mean, didn't everybody expect, if I had told you six months ago what was going to be happening, where would you have thought Bitcoin was going to be? The fact that it hasn't gone up should prove that something is wrong. And you know what? We're two months away now from the halving. The halving is exactly two years from now. And everybody in the Bitcoin community has been convinced that this is going to be a super bullish event and Bitcoin is going to take off at the halving. Well, everybody already bought it, anticipating the halving. Imagine how much selling pressure there's going to be once the halving is out of the way. It's buy the rumor, sell the fact. You know, the problem is it's the price of Bitcoin that's going to get cut in half. That's what's going to be halved. And that's not the halving uh, that the hodlers are expecting. But before it gets cut in half, get out. Because you know what? Even if it does get cut in half, it'll still be worth selling because it'll get cut in half again and again and again and again until it's basically a trading for its intrinsic value, which is zero. Mm -hmm.